Escape Pod 2 May 19th, 2005 Today's story Fungburger by John Agard Hello everyone, welcome again to Escape Pod I'm Steve Ely So, I've just started playing Knights of the Old Republic because I'm always on the cutting edge of games that have just hit the $20 bargain bin And you know what? It's a fun game. Nice graphics, lightsabers, D20 system, all that good stuff. I ought to be having a blast. But you know what sticks in my mind? This thing is supposed to happen 4,000 years before the Star Wars movies. 4,000 years. I mean, think about this. 4,000 years ago, the Sumerians had just figured out they could make rivers go where they wanted. The Hindu were just starting to write good poetry. What does Star Wars have? The Republic, the Jedi, the Sith, all the same races and droids and dancing cantina girls. Of course, we know it was a long time ago because the spaceships are a little bit blockier. I realize this shouldn't really bug me, but Star Wars just bleeds realism anyway, but it's kind of one of my genre hot buttons. The only way a civilization can't have changed in 4,000 years is if everyone in it is dead or retarded. All of which totally fails to segue into today's story, which is a fantasy story taking place uh, probably next week. John Agard is another writer whose work I've reviewed and admired for some time now. He lives in Seattle, Washington with his wife, Victoria Garcia, and a porky cattle dog named Midge. I believe all three of them are writers. John's been published frequently in Strange Horizons, Neverworlds, and The Third Alternative. This story comes from the spring 2001 issue of On Spec, and it's best enjoyed with a glass of Chablis and a cheap, greasy hamburger. Ladies and gentlemen, dim the lights and music. It's story time. Fungburger by John Agard At first glance, there's nothing exotic about a burger pod. They're squat, mass-produced, burger-shaped trailers that sit on vacant lots and dispense fast food. Very little there beyond the obvious, until you consider their origins at a Hong Kong engineering firm. The Chinese are particular about their designs, and for good reason. A design with good feng shui, one that satisfies the universe's sense of metaphor, attracts qi, the energy that raises mountains and pushes rivers and draws good fortune near and keeps tax collectors away. Whether by accident or design, no one can say, but the burger pods have potent feng shui. Where normal men would see nothing but gleaming stainless steel cabinets and a charbroiling grill, A feng shui practitioner would see arms and hands, cradling the burger pod's occupant and bathing her in qi. Alas, those occupants were unable to deliberately manipulate this qi like a sorcerer might. But in the spare moments when patties didn't need flipping and onions didn't need slicing, they daydreamed, and the qi took it from there. Adele Turner arrived for her first day as a burger potter in a rusty blue station wagon that had a permanent driver's side tilt of about five degrees. She lumbered around the pod, doing all of her outside checks. Master gas valve, pilot light, alarm, all okay. Then she unlocked the padlock, turned herself sideways, and heaved herself up the two steps and inside. More checks. Grill fire, refrigerator temp, patty supply, condiment supply. She ticked each item off on her clipboard, then sat down for a rest. While she waited for her breath to come back, she pulled a copy of People out of her purse. Michelle Kwan was on the cover, eyes screwed shut in concentration, left skate carving a spray of ice, right leg stuck straight out towards the reader. Adele turned to Michelle's story and read through it slowly, pacing herself so that the magazine would last all day. In another part of Adele's head, a daydream took form. 
Powered by the chi flow, it rocketed through the fume hood and up into the stratosphere. There, it found one of its kin. Adele stands on the blue line of the hockey rink, wearing her tiny black outfit and expensive figure skates. She hears a slapping noise, looks up, sees four men in hockey uniforms charging her. She nimbly steps around them, then turns to follow the action. A puck tic-tac-toes between the men and winds up in the net. Horns roar, the crowd goes wild, and Adele is left wondering whose fantasy she's living. In the midst of the celebration, the goal scorer spots her. He abandons his teammates, drops his glove and stick and helmet, and skates up to her, bowing slightly. He extends his hand, and she takes it. They skate to the center of the rink. I've had the time of my life. That song from Dirty Dancing, one of Adele's favorites, starts. The man takes her effortlessly up in his arms, and skates in a spiral outwards from the face-off dot. As he skates, the hockey scenery vanishes. First the other players, then the nets and the blue lines and the center lines. All of the lights dim except for one, a spotlight, which follows them precisely. He looks up at her and grins. Hey, this is my daydream. She grins back, and he throws her high, high enough so that she can nearly touch the rafters, and then he catches her with a touch so light that it wouldn't leave fingerprints. He puts her down, and they circle the arena, waving at the fans. Behind the glass of the boards, their faces are blank, mere flesh-colored ovals that hoot and holler at the correct moments. But the face of the man skating with her is different. It is fully defined, square-jawed, rugged, framed with stubble and short, curly hair. He's a Greek god in a hockey sweater. Then the sweater peels away, revealing a tuxedo with a satin-black tie and cummerbund, perfect to match her outfit. "'That's better,' she says, eyes locked on his. He glances down, grins, and takes her gently by the chin. Adele closes her eyes, waits for the kiss. She opens her eyes. He's gone. "'Hey, come back!' she whispers. No one responds. Even the audience is quiet. "'Hey!' someone shouts from the other end of the arena. It's him. He skates up to her, frowning. "'I'm sorry. I had to serve a customer.' Adele doesn't mind. She takes him in her arms, and they dance around the rink, serenaded by Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and Madonna and Brian Adams. Adele tore the picture of Michelle Kwan out of people and put it up with a magnet. She got better at calling up the daydream. All she had to do was glance at the picture and think herself there. Business was slow on her end, but her new friend was pretty busy. Between 1 and 2 p.m., he was usually unavailable. When he was there and she wasn't, he was playing hockey, though he always stopped the game when she appeared. One day, he asks her what her name is. Michelle, she says, without thinking. I'm Danny. Above them, the big hockey scoreboard flashes into an animated Michelle and Danny, complete with fireworks. I'm getting tired of this place, he says. Will you take me somewhere else? She nods. Okay, how about tomorrow? A collections agent was waiting for her that night. He strolled up beside her as she huffed up the walkway to her apartment building's lobby. Miss Turner? She flinched. American Express wants to know when they're going to get their money. He said it just loud enough to be overheard. Adele didn't respond. She just concentrated on getting her lobby key to work in the sticky lock. He stepped closer, close enough so that she could smell his cherry breath mints. When can I tell them to expect it, Miss Turner? The key snapped into place. Adele pushed the door open, stepped through, and let it swing shut in the collection man's face. She didn't get much sleep that night. She had to disconnect the phone, 
the bill collector was dialing her every fifteen minutes. Then, in the silence that followed, she worried about where she was going to take Danny. She found herself prowling her little apartment, looking for things he'd find interesting. She did this until 3 a.m., when a solution presented itself. The next morning, when she got to work, she plugged her little portable CD player into the burger pod and queued up one of Bonnie Raitt's greatest hits collections. Then she took a deep breath and closed her eyes. Adele is at center stage, wearing jeans, a fringy leather jacket, and a combination earpiece mic. Behind her, her band plays the opening to Something to Talk About. She walks over to stage right, and the roadie hands her a guitar, a big round one like the kind that old blues musicians use. She takes in the band as she walks back to the mic. The faceless bassist is bald and plays an upright. The faceless drummer wears a tank top and varnets. Hey guys, she calls, and the crowd roars back. It's faceless, all except for one who's front row center, Danny. She waves at him, and he blows a kiss in return. The band steams through Something and Angel from Montgomery and Women Be Wise and Papa Come Quick. As Adele sings, more and more faces pop into the crowd. Real faces, not the normal pink crowd scene ovals. They work their way to the front, shouting, waving, and crowding Danny. She looks at the set list, taped to the floor at center stage, and sees that Love Letters is next. Love Letters is a duet that Bonnie did with Elton John. It's one of Adele's favorites. She jumps down into the bouncer's row, reaches over the barricades, grabs Danny, and hauls him up onto the stage. It's a duet, she says to him. I need your help. I don't know the words, he shouts, and pretends to push her away. I can always sing it with a bassist, she shouts back. He doesn't even have a mouth. In the end, he lets her teach him, and after about 45 minutes, they've got it down. The band is patient, but why shouldn't they be? After three or four perfect love letters, they stop playing Bonnie Raitt and start playing Michelle and Danny, spontaneous music that gets sillier and sillier until they're both lying on the stage, giggling. Danny looks at his watch. Uh, I have to go, he says. The lunch rush is coming. The thought of Danny leaving hits her hard, pushes her into doing something bold. I want to be with you tonight. Her voice goes out over the PA, and the audience roars. Danny looks shocked, but she carries on. I don't want to be interrupted tonight, Danny. I love you. The audience whistles and stomps its approval. Danny kisses her for a good minute, then steps back, waves, and vanishes. Thank you, Adele says to the crowd. Thank you very, very much. Adele checked both the concert hall and the arena every five minutes that afternoon. But Danny must have been busy because he was never there. That night, she skipped the Burger Pod cash drop and headed straight home. There was really no drop to make, except for the nine bucks from the three cheeseburgers and Cokes she'd had. After less than half an hour at home, just long enough to throw a couple changes of clothes and a blanket into a plastic bag, she drove across the street to the mall and spent the last money in her bank account on an inflatable mattress. It'll be tight, she figured, but it ought to fit. Then she drove the 30 minutes back out to the burger pond, got the mattress settled on the floor, inflated it with the little car accessory pump that had come in the same box, lay down, and waited. Danny, you there? The concert hall is empty. It echoes her voice nicely. Danny? He strolls out from backstage, casually dressed in jeans, a dress shirt, and a leather vest. In his right hand he's got a flower, in his left, a bottle. They embrace and kiss for a few minutes, then sit facing each other on the stage floor. 
Danny produces a pair of long, slender glasses and pours the champagne. I like this, he says. It's better when there's nobody watching. She grins, tosses back the rest of her champagne, and reaches for the top button on his vest. He cooperates for a little while, but then stops her. Aren't you afraid of splinters? he asks, rubbing the plywood stage floor. She nods and changes the floor to satin sheets over carpet foam. He laughs. That's okay, but... He looks up at the lighting rig. Don't you think we should have our own place? Something we can build together? Okay. The concert hall vanishes. You go first. He makes rolling pasture, a hill in the distance, woods, a babbling brook to subdivide it all. She makes a little house with maroon trim and a white picket fence. He makes a barn and a corral. She makes horses and a dog with puppies and a cat with kittens. He makes a hockey rink out in the backyard with bleachers to seat 500. She punches him on the shoulder. It's only for when you're not here, he protests, and she lets it stay. They add some trimmings, a little garden, some gnomes and flamingos, a horseshoe hanging over the barn door. Then they go inside the house. This time, Danny lets her take off his shirt. They baptize every room in the house that night. First, the living room, on bearskin rugs. Then the laundry room, because Adele heard about that on television once. Then the kitchen, on top of the huge island counter. Finally, the bedroom, on king-sized satin sheets. They fall asleep and twine together, and Adele is happier than she can ever recall. Days pass on the ranch. Other dreamers come by, people from burger pods all over America. Adele receives them graciously and serves them lemonade. Danny explores the dream place. The other potters are setting up their own spots. He comes home every night and tells her about the things he's seen. Homesteads and palaces and spaceports and tall ships. Adele stays home, tinkering with the ranch. One day a knocking awakes her from a nap. She stands up, goes to the door, looks outside. No one is there. The knocking gets louder, surrounds her. Hello? she calls, and the dream place tumbles away. Adele opened her eyes. She was back in the glistening steel interior of the burger pod. The door thudded. Someone was knocking on it. She reached for the stove handle to pull herself up, but she had to go slow. Her head was woozy. Ah, yes, she said to herself, thinking back. I skipped supper. The visitor knocked again. Adele struggled to her feet, turned the deadbolt, and opened the door. It was morning outside. Her visitor was Mr. Thorpe, the man from the Burger Pod Company. She shuddered to think of what he saw when he looked at her, unshowered and sweaty, in an old purple tracksuit. Morning, Thorpe said. He craned his neck to see around her, and for the first time ever, Adele was glad for her bulk. Yes? I just wanted to let you know that we're... We're not doing as well here as we thought we would. I'm sorry... He shook his head. Not your fault. There's just not enough people coming down here off the interstate. We're going to try it for another week, but I don't see that changing. He mopped his forehead with a handkerchief. Without the air conditioning on, it was stifling hot in the pod. We're probably going to move it up the highway, about 60 or 70 miles. But that's too far for me to drive. It came out like a whine, but Adele didn't care. I know. I'm sorry. I just wanted to warn you. He left without another word. Adele got a Coke out of the fridge, turned the air conditioner on, and sat down to think. She'd been in the dream place with Danny for a few days, maybe a week, but according to her watch, it had only been overnight in the real world. At a week a night, she counted on the calendar, they had a month and a half together before the burger pod went away. 
She closed her eyes, jumped back to the dream place, and tried to find him. He wasn't at the ranch, or in the arena, or the concert hall. He was off wandering somewhere, or he was busy working his pod. Finally, she gave up, pulled out her checklist, and started getting ready for the day's work. Two days pass in the dream place before Danny comes back. He sneaks up on Adele as she sits in her rocking chair on the porch of the house. Boo, he says, jumping in front of her. She yelps and nearly goes over backwards in her rocker. He helps her up, grinning as he does, hugging her. Where have you been? she whispers. Oh, just wandering, he says, stroking her hair. You've been gone for two days. He looks puzzled. No, I haven't. It's only been a few hours. They're taking away my pot. Oh, no. He hugs her harder. Is this... is it goodbye? No. She pushes him back so she can look him in the eye. I'll do anything. I don't want this to end. All right. He sighs. Okay. What's happening to your pod? How long do we have? She tells him about Mr. Thorpe's visit. Danny's face turns thoughtful. Tell me where you are. She hesitates. I need to know, Michelle. My name's not Michelle. It's Adele. I don't care what your name is. Just tell me where you are. She does. I'll be back soon, Mish- Adele. I have to go and take care of some things. He gives her a little kiss on the chin and vanishes. Adele didn't bother to go home for the next three days. She had burgers to eat and coke to drink and enough clothes to last for a few days, and she could wash up at the rest station bathroom a mile down the interstate. On Thursday, she didn't even bother to open the burger pod. She woke up a couple of times to eat, and once to shout, We're closed! at someone who was tapping on the cage, but aside from that, she spent every moment in the dream place, waiting for Danny to come back. It's Friday in the real world when Danny reappears. Adele runs to him, embraces him, leaves a few tears on his shoulder. Hey, hey, he says, holding her back at arm's length so he can address her directly. I've got some good news. Really great news. She sniffs and looks him in the eye. His are shining. Something wonderful's happening, Danny said. I'm just a little ways away in someone else's burger pod. I'll be there tomorrow, probably around noon. Stay here for a while, she asks. No, I have to get some other things arranged. She holds him tight, but he gently slips away. I love you, he calls. After he's gone, she goes up onto the porch, turns out the lights, and locks the door. He's coming to meet her in real life. He's coming to meet Adele, the chubby burger pod lady, rather than Michelle, the nimble figure-skating guitar goddess, and that terrifies her. Adele went home that night. The next morning... Adele went home that night. The next morning, she got up early and put on her best outfit, the one she wore to job interviews. She even dug her makeup case out from under her sink and put a tiny bit of mascara on her lashes. Then she went to the burger pot, turned on the air conditioning, and tried to read a magazine while she waited for Danny. At one o'clock, a black Taurus pulled into the vacant lot. A man, a normal-looking guy, maybe thirty, with short sandy hair and a white Adidas t-shirt, got out. "'Hello?' he called as he walked up to the counter. Adele? His voice wasn't far off the musical growl he'd had in the dream. Danny? Yeah. They looked at each other for a little while. Come on inside, she said finally. Nah, he said. Why don't you come out and we can get started? She looked puzzled. We're going to leave here, Adele, and we're going to take your burger pod with us. Where will we go? He grinned. Montana. 
Danny jacked up the burger pod and made quick work of its parking lot with a pair of bolt cutters. Then he changed its license plates, got it hooked onto his Taurus, made sure that the gas lines were all safe for transport, and pulled out. The little sedan didn't much like pulling the load, but they were able to make 50 miles an hour on the flat stretches. "'Your boss come around often?' he asked Adel, about five minutes after they got started. "'Not really.' "'Good. This thing ain't exactly inconspicuous.' They spoke only rarely while on the road. Adel asked Danny about his plans a couple of times, but he refused to tell her. He wanted to keep it a surprise. Adel slept a lot of the way, hoping that the dream place would come. It didn't, although at one point she woke up and Danny was holding her hand. And that was okay. It took them about 24 hours to reach Montana. Three hours after they passed the state line, Danny pulled the Taurus off the interstate and onto some back roads. As the sedan made its way across gravel and sand and the odd real road, Adele started feeling something. It pushed into her slowly, starting with the pit of her stomach and then spreading outwards. By the time it reached her toes and her forehead, she felt like she was vibrating, felt like every one of her Christmases and birthdays and Halloweens and Easters were being wrapped into one on the road ahead. "'You got it too, huh?' Danny asked. "'Yeah,' she said, afraid that she might cry." He turned the truck onto a little rutted road. The road meandered a bit, then led to a bluff with a stunning view of a little Montana canyon. "'Let me show you something,' Danny said. He parked, hopped out of the car, and helped Adele to the edge of the bluff. "'Oh, my lord!' she said. Below, in the canyon, dozens of burger pods were lined up in precise rectangular formation. As she watched, a pickup truck backed another one into position. "'We've all come,' Danny said." Everyone I could find, they've all come. We can all be together now. Where's your pod? she asked Danny, after he had driven down into the canyon and backed hers into its space. I couldn't bring it. We'll have to share if that's okay. Will it work if we share? I think so. Danny went to park the car, and Adele let herself into her pod. A nasty smell hit her as soon as she stepped inside. The meat's turned, she thought. Sure enough, when she opened the fridge, she got it full in the face. She opened the customer window and called out to see if the fellow next door had a garbage pail or something, but nobody responded. It's not so bad, she thought. Can wait until tomorrow. She reached up into the high cupboards and got her air mattress. I can inflate that for you, Danny said from the doorway. If he noticed the smell, he didn't show it. No, that's fine. Danny pulled down the pod's little folding bench and sat down, with his hands on his knees. "'I guess we did it,' he said. Adele blinked away a tear as she unrolled the mattress on the floor. "'I guess we should go,' Danny said. "'Everyone will be waiting for us.' Adele sat down on the mattress and closed her eyes. The dream place slid over her like a quilt. That night, the burger potters joined Danny and Adele on their ranch for some barbecue. "'This tastes awfully familiar,' says a wolfman, after sampling the first of the hamburgers to come off of Danny's grill." Everyone laughs. Finally, they settle down to a long table. A man wearing a red velvet beret proposes a toast. They clink glasses, and their golden age begins. "'You ever think about what's going on outside?' Danny asks Adele a couple of weeks later, as they're picking lemons from their tree. Adele stands up on tiptoe to examine a lemon, and hopes that Danny will change the subject. He doesn't. "'I wonder how long it's been out there.' "'I don't know.' Do you think anyone's looking for us? I hope not. Adele was surprised at how vehemently that comes out. They're silent for a minute. 
How long can we do this? Danny asks. I don't want to stop. But do you think it's right? We have everything. We have friends, each other. Yeah, but listen, I was thinking. Maybe we could try something on the outside for a while. Something a little more real. Adele makes her voice as non-negotiable as she can. You can't have me out there. No? No. Danny drops the subject. Danny's silent when he comes to bed that night. When Adele climbs on top of him and starts making overtures, he trembles. What's wrong? she asks. He breathes deeply, hoarsely. I tried to go back. Adele slides down next to him and tries to sound casual. How are things out there? I don't know. I didn't make it. His voice cracks. It hurt. God, it hurt really bad, like I was on fire. Something's happening to us. I'm sorry, she says, but she feels like she's lying. I don't know what it is, but something's happening. Adele squirrels her arm under Danny's neck and pulls him to her. The dream's so strong here, I bet the world doesn't matter anymore, she murmurs. I bet we can go on here forever. Jesus. Sheriff Grant could smell the funk all the way from the bluff. Down in the valley, row upon row of stolen burger pods lay baking in the sun. Each pod held a single desiccated corpse, except for one with North Dakota plates, which had two. Mass starvation, the first man on the scene had said, but the coroner corrected him. Mass dehydration. Mass dehydration. That was something new to Grant. The pod's license plates were from all over. From his vantage, Grant could see New York, Pennsylvania, California, Texas, Washington State. That made him glad. He could turn over primary responsibility to the feds on this one. They could talk to CNN. Burger trailer coats, Grant muttered to himself as he walked back to his patrol car. What do they goddamn think of next? And that's our story for today. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to our blog, escape.extraneous.org, and leave a comment. If you didn't enjoy it, please go to our blog, escape.extraneous.org, and leave a comment. I want to take a moment and thank everyone who has gone to the blog and has listened to the podcast so far. I'm very, very surprised at the reception that we've gotten. It was my honest expectation, after a week of this, with very little promotion so far, that we'd probably have 20, maybe 30 listeners. Instead, we've got over 100 subscribers to the feed, and many more downloads of the file beyond that. And I'm just thrilled by this. You all are awesome. Please, by all means, if you liked it, tell a friend, tell your live journals, tell your dead journals, tell your grandmother, tell your dog. We can use any listener we can get. As before, I want to give a couple of shout-outs. Once again, PatioBooks.com is the place to go for podcast novels. I've started listening to a few of these myself, and you actually will find yourself wishing their commute was a bit longer. Really. Uh, Two new sites as well. I've been talking to Alex Wilson from TelltaleWeekly.org. This is actually an awesome place. I've bought some stuff from them in the past. Their aim is to be sort of the Project Gutenberg of online audio, uh, taking old classic works, turn them into audio format. They charge a small fee for initial access, and then after a period of time, they make each one available under a Creative Commons license. I think this is a fantastic strategy. It's a fantastic site. If you're looking for more to listen to, I urge you all to go there right now. And I've also just gotten communication and a generous donation from sffaudio.com. Jesse Willis there has been in touch. I've been looking at their site. They're a fantastic review site for science fiction audio in all forms and formats. 
audiobooks, podcasts. It's a great site. Go there. Love it. Take it home to meet your mother. Our music is from Dai Kaiju. Kabuki men deliver most high rocket music. Special reverb skill combo for full impact. Go to their website, daikaiju.org. There's lots of A's and I's in that. Uh, And I'm reading here a note to myself. Remind listeners to donate to keep Escape Pod alive. Okay? Donate, donate, donate. There, done with that. I think that about covers it for tonight. Again, I hope you all had a fun time. Tune in next week, same time, same station. Meanwhile, I think there's a movie or something going on this weekend. Why don't you go watch it? We'll see you next week.